You are now listening to Sierra Unraveled, hosted by yours truly. I am a single mother who finally released myself from a toxic relationship with the help of God, of course, so I can pursue my wildest dreams. Tune in every week for some crazy stories, real life drama, and motivation to keep going. You got this. How amazing it is to have you here with me today. You've done, I think, 30 or so podcast appearances, and now you're here, and that's just absolutely extraordinary. Terry Tucker, a man who's worked tons of jobs just like me, a former NCAA Division I basketball player, SWAT hostage negotiator for Cincinnati, Ohio Police Department, marketing specialist for Wendy's International, You've worked in hospital administration. You've also worked as a customer service manager for a publishing company. And now you're an author, motivational speaker. And I thought the jobs that I had were interesting. You've definitely been up to the challenge for something new. So how do you think all the job experiences you've had have brought you to this exact position you're in today? Well, Sarah, thanks for having me on your show. Um, Each time I took a new job, I had to develop new skills and I faced different challenges. Uh, there's always a or always has been a significant learning curve with every new position. But with almost every new job came a, a physical move for our family. And moving gave our family the opportunity to declutter, to throw out what we weren't using any longer and to keep the things that were important to us. Each new job gave me an opportunity to reprioritize what was important in my life and to ensure that what I was doing was compatible with finding and living my purpose. In other words, I was doing what God put me on this earth to do. Helping people find their their purpose or their why has become really a passion of mine. I recall a, a quote from Mark Twain who said that the two most important days of our lives are the day that we're born and the day we figure out why. There's a reason that we were born. And that reason involves finding and living our purpose. And I believe that we're all destined to live an uncommon and extraordinary life. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the type of job we have, how much money we make, you know, what kind of house we live in, et cetera. You and I both know this. We're not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. The, the problem is, is that most people take an unintentional approach to living. And by living a casual life, their dreams and their goals become a casualty of that unplanned living. I've had plenty of time to think about my own death during all the years that I've been battling cancer. And after I die, I can't imagine standing in the presence of our creator and being unable to account for the gifts and the talents that I was born with and that I didn't use to make the world a better place. Yeah, I agree 100%. Do you think that when you were moving a lot, you kind of adopted this minimalist lifestyle, if you will, and just kind of made you really take a look at what things you actually value, what's important to you on a day-to-day basis? Do you think that if you wouldn't have had those opportunities to move, that you'd be able to put yourself, have this perspective that you have now? I I feel personally that if I stay in a job, and I'm not happy. I'm like, what am what am I doing here? Like, it doesn't matter where I work because I'm not doing what I was supposed, what I was meant to do, which is I feel like trying to better other people's lives and inspire people and motivate them to become the best version of themselves, which is crazy that you're 
we cross paths because we have a very similar mindset. We do. And I mean, I, I'd like to say that I, that I hope that um, I would have that mindset. I would hope that I would realize what has been important in life and that it's, it's not the things that we possess. There's, there's a story that I, that I like to tell sometimes about Alexander the Great. And supposedly as Alexander was, was dying, he called his, um, his counselors together and he said, I want you to carry out my final three wishes. My first wish is that only my doctor carries or my doctors carry my, my casket to the grave. The second wish is I want the road to the cemetery strewn with gold and silver and precious stones. And number three, I want my hands hanging out of my, my coffin. And one of his counselors asked me, he said, Alexander, why did you have these strange wishes? And he said, well, number one, I want my doctors to carry my coffin to the grave because I want people to realize that no doctor can actually cure anybody. They are helpless at all to stop someone from dying. What they can do is help the person and the body. Uh, they can assist it to become healthy or healthier. And then his second wish was, I want people to realize that I spent my entire existence on getting riches and conquering and, and developing new territories. And I want people to realize that not one ounce of my gold or my prestige will be coming with me to the next life, will be coming with me beyond the grave. And finally, his, his third wish of having, having his hands hang out of his coffin, he said, I came into this world empty handed. I want people to realize that I'm leaving it the same way. So I think that story kind of uh, really makes people understand what's really important. It, it's not all the, I mean, Alexander the Great was probably a greater conqueror than even Hitler was, probably killed more people than Hitler did. And here's this man who realizes that at the end, we're all going to occupy the same little plot of dirt that, you know, the pauper does or the poor person or the homeless man does who's lying next to us. So that stuff's not important. And I think you and I have come to the realization that, that that's really that's really the important thing to focus on in life. It's not what you have. It's what you can give. So now that you approach life with this focus on like a healthy aspect, all while being sick, and you said those three things are controlling your mind so it doesn't control you, embracing the pain and suffering and using it to make you a stronger and more determined individual, which I think is very important. And then the third thing is remembering that as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. So how do you feel like you control your mind or how have you been able to do that during the past 10 years or so of your life that you've been dealing with these crazy unfortunate events of you um, battling cancer and whatnot? Sure. So without a doubt, the, the greatest challenge of my life began back in 2012 when I was diagnosed with, with this rare form of melanoma that presented on the bottom of my left foot. By the, the time the cancer was detected, it had spread to a lymph node in my groin. And I had two surgeries to eliminate the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my groin and a skin graft to close the wound where the cancer had been removed on my foot. And after I healed, I was put on this weekly injection of a drug called interferon to, to help keep the disease from coming back. My doctor used to call it kicking the can down the road. Interferon, at least for me, was a was just a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. And I took those weekly interferon injections 
for four years and seven months before the medication became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees. While I was on the interferon, it gave me severe flu-like symptoms uh, for two to three days every week after each injection. I lost 50 pounds during my therapy. I used to joke with my wife that I thought I was so skinny that I could go hang gliding on a Dorito at that point in time. So I, I was... You know, I had the flu. I, I, I had flu symptoms. I was nauseous. I was fatigued. I was chilled. Even my ability to taste food diminished and my body continually ached. And this misery went on for over 1,660 days. And I, I say all that because one thing I've learned during all my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. You can succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. I chose the latter, but I want your listeners to understand that there were days I felt so poorly and I was in so much agony that I literally prayed to die. I, I just wanted out of this life. Each day was a struggle to use my mind to override the apathy and the distress that my body was feeling. I realize what it's like I realize that pain and discomfort can beat you to your knees and keep you there if you let it. But I also came to appreciate that I could use that pain and suffering to make me a stronger and more de determined individual. I was no better at dealing with pain and discomfort than the next person. But every day I found a way to survive with the knowledge that I would need to do it again the following morning. Unfortunately, my cancer experience, as you alluded to, um, it, it, this isn't a feel-good story. This isn't, you know, something about me conquering my disease and I don't have it any longer. The, the melanoma that had plagued me for, for over six years returned in 2017, and eventually my only treatment option was the amputation of my left foot, which occurred in January of 2018. 2019, the cancer came back again, requiring two additional surgeries, and then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, resulting in the amputation of my leg above the knee. And then further testing found that the cancer had spread to my lungs, and I'm currently undergoing treatment for those tumors. However, my doctor's not exactly optimistic about my long-term longevity here. But I refuse to be a victim to this malignancy. I vowed to continue my fight. I knew the only way the cancer could win is if I gave up or I gave into the disease or it killed me. I can certainly sit here and talk with you and say, I understand what it's like to fight for your life. And the one thing I learned is that as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Yeah, you've definitely gone through a lot. And I just hope people understand, like, even though you might be going through a lot, it really is. It's how you handle the situation and how you deal with it just how your mindset is. And I feel like some people get so wound up in what's actually going on that they lose sight of, of the other side, like the bigger picture, other things that are going on, and they become comfortable in that misery. And then at that point, it almost feels like you're not, you're not able to go, go back from it. So if someone is in that position where they just feel like they're distraught, they don't know what to do, do you have any suggestions on how you kind of got out of were you always kind of like having that positive mindset from the beginning or what was your turning point and how did you kind of like address it and just kind of like switch it around? Yeah, I, no, I, you know, I, I really, 
and I wish I wasn't this way, but I am. I've always been a guy that's kind of the glass is half empty. And I, I really haven't been a, you know, everything's going to be great and everything. It, it, it's always been a grind for me to, to whatever it was, to excel in basketball, to, to write a book, to, to deal with cancer. But you, I think you get to a point in, in your life, um, and I certainly went through, you know, I was scared. I was nervous. I was mad when I found out I had this disease because I looked at it like I did everything right in my life. I exercise. I eat good foods, lots of fruits and vegetables. I don't abuse drugs and alcohol, et cetera. You know, I work out, all that stuff. And yet here I was afflicted with this very rare form of cancer on the bottom of my foot. I mean, melanoma, in my mind, was a disease that people got from spending too much time in the sun. And I could assure myself that I never laid out in the sun with my feet up in the air trying to tan the bottom of my feet, you know? <laughs> so I, I just, I, I, I went through all of those emotions and then you, you get to a point where you have a choice. You know, you can be mean and you can be bitter or you can be positive. And, and I made a choice very early on that I would never take this out. My, I would never take my plight out on a doctor or a nurse or a family member or a friend. I mean, I never, you know, people ask me, do, you know, do you blame God for this? No, I, I don't think God said, hey, you're going to have cancer. It just happened. And now it's all how I deal with it. And, and I choose to be positive. And I have found that being positive in that regard, and, and believe me, it's not always easy. I'm not always, you know, Joe Chipper. There are days when I'm exhausted. There are days when I cry. There are days when I'm scared. There are days when I'm nervous. So I don't, I don't profess to sit here and, and you know, talk to you and, and your audience and say that I have all the answers. I, I don't. I don't have all the answers. But this is this has worked for me. Being positive has worked for me. And you talked about the the three truths, as I call them, about the second one, embracing your pain and the suffering. You know, most of most people are we're hardwired. We know this. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. And and knowing that, when when we're faced with pain or things that are uncomfortable, we want to get away from them. We, you know, we push them away or we we run away from that. I've done just the opposite. I've taken that pain and turned it inside and I use it as fuel or energy to make me stronger. I mean, there are days I am involved in a clinical trial now. There are days I go to, to that trial and, and they take blood from me and there are days I come home and I, I've been stuck with a needle 14, 15 times and that hurts and, and that's painful. But that's what I have to deal with. So I use that pain and I, ju I just use it inside as fuel to make me a stronger individual. I gotcha. And at the end of the day, like you're contributing to someone else's life or research. And that is what makes you feel good, I'm sure. Like it's worth it, I guess, almost. Right. I hope so. I, I mean, I I am the only person in this trial. I, I started out on another trial and I, literally last week, I, I just started on this new trial, which added another drug to the trial that I was currently on. I am the only person right now who started the trial that is that is showing positive results, that my tumors in my lungs have decreased by over 20%. Everybody else has not seen that 
that positive aspect of it. So I'm really kind of in uncharted waters right now. We don't know how my body's going to react to this this combination of these two drugs and and what's going to happen. And I mean, am I going to show better results? Is it is it going to be neutral where nothing nothing changes? Is it going to get worse? I I don't know. We don't know. And so you know, on the one hand, you're right. I'm kind of a guinea pig. You know, let's see what happens. On the other hand, hopefully, I'm contributing in some way to either my own health or the health of somebody else down the road that they learn from from what my body experiences during this trial. Yeah. And since you are enduring like new drugs and you don't know their side effects and just the combinations of things, I know I'm sure it definitely has an impact on your body because your your body isn't meant to receive those kinds of things. So is there anything that you do to um, work with or kind of progress or just help take care of your body, nourish it? Like, all right, I know you said you ate lots of fruits and vegetables before, but do you think your diet plays a big role in your recovery now and how those drugs are working or? I, I do. I, I, um, I've i always come in kind of particular about what I put in my body. But again, let me preface that with, you know, I'm certainly not above eating the pizza and the hamburger and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. I, those are important I, sometimes. I, I do that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you and say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the picture of health. I, I, I'm not. But, you know, I am very particular, particular. And, you know, I'm big on fruits and vegetables and nuts, but I certainly eat meat. But I try to focus on on lean meats and things like that. Every morning for breakfast, I have uh, an egg white omelet and I have a I call it a smoothie, but it, it has all kinds of fruits and vegetables and nuts and stuff in it. And I used to make it before I was in a wheelchair. Now my wife makes it just because it's easier. And when I would make it in a wheelchair, I'd made a mess. So <laughs> it, it wasn't funny. But one of the big things that I try to stay away from is sugar. And it, it really didn't hit me until one of the tests that I had done to determine uh, whether the cancer had spread and things like that is what's called a PET scan. P-E-T. And don't ask me what it stands for because I, <laughs> I can't even pronounce the words. But the way the scan works is they inject radioactive sugar into your body. And the idea being that cancer cells have a higher metabolism than your normal cells, and it will pick up that, that radioactive sugar at a higher rate than your cells, and it will it will glow. It will, it will show up on the scan. And I, you know, you you realize that and then you think, well, if that's the case, then why am I eating sugar? Because, you know, you, it sounds like the cancer, that's what the cancer feeds on. So I really try to limit if I do eat, uh, you know, I, I have I, I do have a sweet tooth, but I try to eat, you know, uh, non-sugar related sweets, so to speak. So I have I have chocolate cover raisins and and nuts that are sugar free. And, and I'll eat those instead of eating the, the kind that, you know, you'd get at the movie theater, you know, the raisinettes and stuff like that. Love those things, but they're just, they're just not good for me. And, you know, and exercise has also been very important to me. When I was on the interferon for all those, all those years, I was very weak, but I did what I could to make it to the gym to maybe ride a stationary bike or to lift some weights. With COVID, I'm pretty much housebound. And I, I try to do push-ups and crunches. And one thing I've learned is that it's up to you to win the day. It's up to you to sometimes to even win the minute. But, you know, as I say, winning the day 
I, I have a friend of mine who called me last week who has pancreatic cancer, stage four, and he's had it for four months. I've had cancer for over nine years. And he talked to me about how do you, how do you do it? You know, and I told him when I was on interferon, sometimes it's just about winning the minutes. Sometimes all I could do was take a load of laundry and throw it in the wash machine to help my wife out. And that's all I could do because I was so exhausted. But I had to do something. And boy, would I have liked to lay in bed all day? Sure, I would have. But that wasn't winning the day for me. I had to at least get up. I had to at least make it to the couch. And after I made it to the couch, well, maybe I could make it to the table and, you know, eat a bite of scrambled eggs or something like that. So it really is about, you know, kind of winning whatever that is, the, the day, the minute, the week, the hour, whatever that is. So to master anything, you know, especially fighting cancer, you have to invoke your mind as well as your body. You have to focus on repetition. When I was a high school basketball coach, I, I focused on working on the fundamentals with my team. And then as my team got better at the fundamentals, I would increase the intensity that they were working on those fundamentals. And then once they were working on the fundamentals at a high intensity, I'd add pressure to stress their mind. We would, we would keep working that same cycle over and over and over again until it just became automatic. And, and that same thing, you can do that to yourself, you know, and you can do it with whatever it is that you're, you're, you're dealing with in life. It doesn't have to be like me, cancer, you know, you could be wanting to be better at algebra in school or, or English or whatever it is you're taking. You know, what are the fundamentals? Now work on those really intensely. Now put some pressure on yourself so that when it comes time to take the test, the test is a piece of cake. I always thought my, my practices as a basketball coach should be much more difficult than the games were for my players. And as, as a result, like I said, we would work on fundamentals with intensity and then pressure. And then eventually at the end of practice, we would kind of ratchet that down till we were just back working on the fundamentals. Do you think there, well, repetition is important, definitely patterns as well. Um, and those things take time to develop and turn them into habits. Is there anything that you do on a daily basis just to make sure that really feeds your mind and your body just keep going every single day? Like you have to do this every single day. Like for me, it's like, I really like making my bed in the morning. Like that's just something I do. Do you have anything that you always have to do just one thing you cannot miss out on. Yeah, I pray every day. And, and I, that's important to me. And, you know, initially I started, it really hasn't been, I guess, until fairly recently that I really started praying for myself. You know, that I, that I ask God every morning and every night, please give me this miracle. Please take this cancer from my body. But I pray for other people. And I have been some people would say unfortunate. I, I kind of feel I've been fortunate to meet a tremendous amount of people who have had cancer or are going through some type of, of terminal illness or chronic illness or something like that, who have reached out to me through other podcasts I've done or through the book that I wrote and things like that, who, who just want to, they want to talk. And so I, I pray for those people every single morning. And, and I think it's, I think it's important. And I don't think people realize I had, a, I had a nurse last week when I was in therapy who told me that she was considering getting out of nursing. As a matter of fact, she'd already talked to her parents that she was going to leave nursing. She was going to go to work for Amazon. She was, she was depressed. She had lost a very good friend uh, to an illness. 
and she just she was just in a bad place. And she said, one day I took care of you and I heard your story and I realized all you've been through. And she said, I, I for some reason, your story had an impact on me to make me realize that I was where I was supposed to be. If she hadn't told me that, I would have never known that, you know, that I that I had any kind of an impact like on her at all. And she she's a fairly young nurse. And that just made me feel so proud that just just my existence, just my being here made a positive impact on somebody else. And like I said, if she hadn't told me, I never would have known that. How many people out there that you meet every day, that you see every day, that you may just say hello to every day, look at you and say, hey, that's Sierra. She's got it all together. And you know what? She makes me a better person just by knowing her. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's an incredibly powerful thing to do. And like I say, with with praying every day, you know, for me, it's just like I said earlier, winning the moment. If I can win today, are there things that I need to accomplish or I want to accomplish that I can do? Can I do it? I don't know. Am I am I too tired? Am I too sick? Am I too whatever? But it's amazing what you can do as a human being. I, I recall a, a story um well, it's kind of my story, but there was a sort of a story within a story when I was um, between the time I had the interferon stopped and the time that I had my foot amputated, I was on a couple biologic drugs just to see if they would help me. And, and they didn't, but they gave me some rather bad side effects. And uh, one was I was, was tremendously exhausted. Another one was I had a disease that developed a disease called pseudo gout, which caused my right knee to swell. And if you can imagine having just liquid crystals inside your joint, mm. and every time I moved, those crystals were like miniature knives, just you know, stabbing the inside of that joint. And then finally, I woke up in the middle of the night convinced I was having a heart attack. And my wife rushed me to the emergency room and I didn't have a heart attack. I had a blood clot in my lung, blew it around the sack of my heart. And I remember laying there on the table and I was just so depleted, both mentally and physically, that I looked at my wife, literally with tears ro- ro- rolling down my cheeks, saying, please, just let me die. Just let me get away from this body that seems to continually be attacking me. And if, for some reason, at that moment, I remembered reading an article about the owner of a professional sports team who paid a Navy SEAL, probably the toughest, some of the toughest men in the world, to come and live with his family for a month and to teach them about the power of their mind. And one of the things he talked about was the 40% rule. And the 40% rule says that if you think you're at the end of your rope, and it may be, you know, you, you, you decide you're going to go out and run five miles and you make it to mile three and you're like, I can't do it. You're at the end of your rope. I can't make it to the end of my rope. I remember thinking, you know what? I can't make it anymore. I, I'm done. I'm depleted. I want to die And I remember this 40% rule, which says that if you're at the end of your rope, you're only at 40% of your maximum. You still have another 60% left in reserve. And with all these doctors and nurses and everything going on around me, I remember just blocking everything out and kind of going inside myself and thinking, you know what? You still got more. You know, you're not ready to give up yet. So just tie a knot in the end of that rope and tell your body to hang on. And, and that's what I did. And that, that remembering that article literally saved my life because I was at the point where I just didn't care anymore. I just wanted to die. 
I feel like those are the moments where God is really working and present. And I think it's beautiful that you were able to have such an impact on someone that you had just met. And that is, that is my goal. Like whoever comes across my podcast, whoever comes across me in person, like there's not enough good people out here in the world pushing others. And just like even sharing your story, you being able to talk about these kinds of things. Me starting my podcast, talking about my life. Like a lot of people aren't in a place where they can even do that or just need to hear it from coming from someone else that there are other people that are rooting for you, that are praying for you. And that like, there is another part of of your life that you can experience but you just have to gain access to it and gaining that access sometimes is just coming across something like educating yourself learning about the 40 percent rule listening to a podcast that might alter your your mindset those things are pivotal in people's lives and people have to jump on those opportunities for sure so like what are your goals what are your plans within the next like i don't even know six months you just finished writing your book do you plan on writing another one or you know it's funny my publisher thinks i should write another one (laughs) (laughs) you should the more the merrier well you know it's funny i i learned you know you you just mentioned you know it's important for people to to learn new things and 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 things like that And, and and i certainly have learned a tremendous amount about the publishing business including that every day in the united states 800 new books are published so when you you think about that and and that's just in the United States. I mean, that doesn't include you know Europe and and Asia and all that kind of stuff. And and I I sit here and I think you know why would somebody buy my book as opposed to somebody else? And and then I said because it's good and, and it would help people. And, and people are like, well, how do you know that? I said, well, I had an 87 year old man read my book and tell me that he wished he'd had the the 10 principles that I outlined in the book when he was young because it would have helped him to have a better life. And I'm like, well, if if somebody who's at the end of their life can tell me that these principles are still relevant today, then that made me certainly certainly feel a whole lot better. So yes, I'm, I'm looking at, at writing a new book. Um, I'm, I'm doing quite a few podcasts. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you write a book, how many people want you to be on their podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. for some reason, they think that makes you you know, important or influential and stuff like that. And I always tell people I'm, I'm just as, as much full of baloney as, as the next person. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I try not to take myself too seriously. I, I one of the other things that I, that I think is very important, uh, you know, I, I try to read a lot. And uh, one of the books I just read uh, is called Legacy. Um, and it's, it's about the New Zealand national rugby team, who by all intents and purposes is probably the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country. And, and one of the things they talk about is, is why they were successful. And, and something that I thought was kind of interesting is they talk about how important being humble is, having humility. And, and pe- like I said, people ask me a lot of questions on these podcasts. And they 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 make it seem like I'm an expert, and and to a point, maybe I am. But sometimes they ask me questions where I'm like, I I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I I don't I don't have all the answers. I I've I've had to work through this myself. And you know, I I look at I, I look at all of us, and and I you know I always feel that people that, that all of you me, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a homeless guy on the street, whether you're you know, living in the penthouse, that we're all destined to live uncommon and extraordinary lives. And, and and we talked about that a little while ago, but there's an obstacle to doing that. 
And that obstacle is us. You know, we all know that our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. You know, to our minds, the status quo is familiar and comfortable and should just be left alone. And I always, when I always talk about this, I, I, I try to use the example of, of people looking for a new job because we all know people who are, they're stuck in dead end positions. They should have been working somewhere else years ago. And for some reason, they just stay put. And I always wondered why that was. And then I started thinking about it. And, and I thought it was because every time they decide to find new employment, their brain kicks in and starts pointing out all the reasons that they should stay right where they're at. You know, things like, hey, you're making good money and you, know, you understand the job and the, the work here is easy. And you know what? You go somewhere else, you might not get along with your coworkers. Whatever the reason to the brain a new job presents all types of uncertainty and uncomfortableness. And if you're in a position that you can't stand and it would make sense for you to explore new opportunities, your brain is going to put up a fight. The problem with most people, and I devoted an entire chapter in my book to this, this next sentence. The problem with most people is they think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And, and my purpose right now is to help people not to do that, to, to, and because I've done it and you've probably done it. I, I think most of us have. You know, I'm afraid of something, so I'm going to let my fear dictate whether I do or I don't do that thing. That's not a way to live. That's, that's, just, that's just not a way to live, but it's an easy way to live because you just get rid of anything in your path that might cause you any kind of anxiety. You know, we don't like to live in an uncomfortable state, but that's the only place where we can grow. You know, when I was, I was coaching high school basketball. I used to always remind my players that they needed to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And as such, I'd move players in and out of drills and practice that I knew caused them anxiety. I wanted them to be uneasy, not because I was trying to get them to fail, but because I was trying to get them to realize that they could succeed it's something that made them apprehensive. The only way that we can grow, the only way that we can push past those comfort zones is to do what we find unpleasant and undesirable. And it's in those painful, challenging, and let's face it, sometimes embarrassing moments that real growth can occur. And when improvement happens, that's when the common can become uncommon and the ordinary can become extraordinary. I, I wanna leave you with one quote that I heard this shows you how old I am, back in 1976. And it was from a U.S. gold medal winning Olympic swimmer by the name of Shirley Babishoff. And this is what she said. She said, winners think about what they want to happen and losers think about what they don't want to happen. Winners can override their brains and focus on the things that they want to occur. Losers focus on the negative aspects of competition and can't see the positive qualities of pursuing a goal or a dream. Most people will never get to where they want to be because they won't stop whining and complaining about, their, about where they're at. If you want to live an uncommon and extraordinary life, and I don't know why anybody wouldn't, the only way to make that happen is to embrace the uncomfortable and continue to do the things that you don't like and that you don't want to do. To become successful in life, your purpose in life, has to be bigger than your pain.
Thank you so much for coming here today and chatting with us. If liked anything you've heard to my listeners, Mr. Tucker's book, Motivational Check, is available on Amazon. I will drop his website on my web or on my episode notes so you can check it out. Thank you again so much for tuning in for another episode of Sierra Unraveled. Stop letting them unravel you because only you can unravel yourself. I'll talk to you next week.